Hi, I'm Astrid, and I'm an alcoholic. Hi, I want to thank the group for asking me to come share my experience, strength, and hope. I hope I can say something tonight that helps somebody. Welcome to all the new people, chip takers, birthday people. Um, it's a privilege and an honor to speak at a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. You know, and I say that because I'm very into the statistics, if you can find them for AA. And one of the biggest statistics is only 3 to 5% of the people that come in here ever take a five-year cake. That means if you have under five years right now, you have a 98% chance of relapsing. That's really scary. That's so scary, and I believe that there are reasons why people relapse, and maybe, just maybe, the true message of Alcoholics Anonymous has been watered down. Maybe the message wasn't delivered. Maybe they didn't hear something they really needed to hear in order to apply it to their life so they could have a psychic change and start to live a new way of life. And this whole program is about change. So if it's about change, then I first have to see what's really wrong with me. And I feel that, for the most part, our society in general doesn't teach us to go inward, to self-reflect, to look at our part in things. Most of the time, the ego is wired to blame the outside, blame him, blame her, blame our parents, blame our circumstances, which, for the most part, our circumstances in our early childhood molded our personalities. And then we took that trauma or that personality and we took it out into the world and we began to maybe drown ourselves with alcohol and drugs because we couldn't function properly. And in the end, when I inventory this, it's not to blame my parents. <clears throat> it's just to look inside and to see how did I get this way? What exactly happened? So first of all, for me, I don't believe that God makes infants to come out of a womb and be complete 100% alcoholic. Are we predisposed? It's quite possible, but I have never, ever, ever seen a five-year-old take a sip of their parents' beer and sneak into the refrigerator and chug a six-pack and go driving down the street on a tricycle and crash. I've never seen it. I've never seen a small child with a severe phenomenon of craving. I've never heard of it. I've never read about it. And believe me, I love the psychopathy of untreated alcoholism. I love studying this disease. I love talking about it. I love picking it apart. I love dissecting it, I have a real passion for this particular illness. So when I was growing up, I think there was a lot of chaos in my household. My parents did the best they could. Nobody was ever really allowed to express their feelings. No one ever said, hey, you know, I'm so sorry your feelings got hurt, or that must have really hurt, or don't worry so much, or everything's going to be okay. It was just, you know what? Suck it up, shut up, we don't want to hear it, la, 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 la. And I began to push and push and push and push my feelings down. You can take five children that live in the same household with the same parents and the same tools where there's not enough self-expression or not enough open space to expose their minds or their life, and you're going to get five different pathologies. Maybe you're going to get an A-type personality who's really in control. Maybe you're going to get an overeater and the child begins to stuff themselves. Maybe you're going to get someone that's... Um, you know, addicted to something on the outside, whether it be baseball cards or comic books, and then you get us, the real alcoholics, defiant and, and grandiose and outrageous, and middle fingers are waving, and I'm going to get in your face, and you tell me to not touch it, and I'm going to touch it. You tell me not to turn it on, and I'm going to flick the whole thing on and blow shit up. And over and over and over, I keep getting into trouble. It doesn't matter how much I get spanked or how, pu more, more, how punished I get 
or how anything. There's something in me that doesn't quite learn a lesson. I do the same things over and over and over and over. I'm nothing but trouble from an early age. Now, psychiatrically, if you could look at a child today with psychiatric eyes, you'd be able to pick out, this one's going to have a lot of trouble later on. But, you know, in my day, the, the principal and people at the school never called my parents. There weren't therapists or psychologists or anybody saying, hey, I think there might be trouble on the horizon. It didn't matter what kind of disability or issues you had. We all just were thrown in the same pile and off we go. And even the beginnings blossoming of an alcoholic, it wasn't really, for me, I'm 60 years old, it just wasn't really there. I didn't know about alcoholism. I didn't know. Big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, important, right here. Okay. We who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as her mind. The body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as her mind. I have something called the phenomena of craving. Only 6% of the population in the world pick up something. And I know this is a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, but I have news for all you old timers that think we only should talk about alcohol. The landscape of Alcoholics Anonymous has changed dramatically. There are not children standing in front of 7-Eleven asking you to buy them a 40. It's all gone. Those days are gone. They're never, ever, ever coming back. Children aren't chugging liquor like we were. There's so many more things you can get your hands on. There's stuff in the cold medicine aisle. There's psych meds everywhere. There's pills. There's powders. There's smoke, there's tar, there's all kinds of things. And I keep it to alcohol because this is a meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. But the main part of the illness centers in the alcoholic's mind rather than their body. Which means that I have the phenomenon of craving and even if I put the plug in the jug with liquor and you spark up a pipe or do something else or porn or chocolate cake or him or her, the phenomenon of craving gets on you like, like, like a monster like something that drives me so wildly and blindly that I can't get it off of me. And I know the phenomenon of craving can be so strong that I really can't hear or feel anything else. It just tells me I need more, I need more, I need more. At the expense of lying, cheating, stealing, chewing gum, hiding things, looking right in people's faces, looking right in my parents' faces and saying, no, I wasn't, my boyfriend, my friends, whoever, bosses, you know. didn't happen that way. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't. And it's really untreated alcoholism when the phenomenon of craving is on or when we are wet. It's a, it's a vampire. It's a parasite. And it needs a host. It lives off of me. It doesn't even want me dead. It just wants me really sick so it can suck the life out of me. That's truly what it wants. It wants to live. It wants me to be a robot for it. It wants me to lie, cheat, steal, vibrate at a low frequency, stay in darkness. God forbid, you know, don't get into any prayer and meditation or open your heart up. You know, and also the traumas that most of us have, have endured in our life. I can tell you right now, the amount of pain and suffering that it took for all of us collectively to get here, if you could stuff that into a napalm bomb right now, we'd blow the living shit off of this ceiling right this minute. The suffering is no joke in here. It's neglect. It's betrayal. It's Department of Social Services. It's incest. It's beating. It's spanking. It's somebody putting cigarettes out on your arms. It's I don't know what, but it's a lot of different things. 
There are very few children that grow up in a perfect household with really loving parents that allow you to process your feelings, that adore you, that tell you how amazing you are, and you wind up breaking out in handcuffs. It doesn't go that way. Something happened at an early, early age. Like, I remember the first time I ever, like, got so wasted that I pissed in my pants. A normal child would be completely horrified and think, oh, my God. I fucking passed out and peed in my pants. Holy shit. I lost my underwear. I had sex with a stranger. They'd never do it again. That would be enough to scare the shit out of them. That was like a weekly event for someone like me. That was like, welcome to my freaking life, you know? I mean, it's just, I'm just in constant trauma all the time, all the time. And I look at my life and I can see that even before I had liquor in my system, there was something really wrong. I had a very hard time handling any kind of frustration. I had severe impulse problems, severe, severe, severe. I had attention problems. I had, there was a lot wrong with me. And then at some point, somebody opens up a Budweiser and alcohol does for me what I cannot do for myself. And all of a sudden, feel better. So much better for the first time ever. No one's ever given me medication. My parents weren't going to take me to a psychiatrist. Kids didn't even go on meds in those days. It just didn't go like that, you know. I don't know what's wrong with the kid. She's high strung. She's wild. She, she's a crazy one. She's like her grandmother. She's a fucking nutcase. I don't know. There were all these labels. But really, I don't know what was wrong with me. I don't know. I mean, even today, it took me so long to finally figure out I'm fully dyslexic. I still don't know left from right. There's something wrong in here. Like, seriously wrong. You t say turn left, and bam, the steering wheel goes this way. There's a lot wrong with me. So I'm already scrambled before I, op before I open that first beer, and then alcohol does for me what I can't do for myself, and it calms things down. And everything temporarily looks okay, and I start to like you, and I start to be able to hear a little bit better. I start to sort of calm down. I loosen up, you know? I think I have a crush. He's cute. She's so nice. I'm having a good time. And then at the end of the evening, I go home, and I wake up the next day, and I think, God, that was so fun. And what I begin to do is I begin to habitually pour liquor down my throat and party and drink, and eventually somewhere I cross over the invisible line and I lose the freedom of choice, which is what we talk about here. And now all bets are off. And I remember in high school, I'd wake up on Saturday and it was like beer 30 at 8.30 or 9 in the morning. I can remember opening a beer early in the morning on a Saturday and my mother even saying, what are you doing? And I'm just like, it's beer 30. I'm drinking. I'm having a beer. And even then, it didn't cross my conscious mind that I'm in a whole bunch of trouble, that shit's going to hit the fan, that my future does not look bright, that there's a freaking runaway train happening, and it's me. And so, like so many people in this program, you know, we grow into this environment with drugs and alcohol and going to bars and hanging out with shady people and then I start dating, you know, and I start having sex and I start falling in love and my father was definitely a spanker and a hitter and I personally date guys that either hit and if you've never hit a woman, you're about to hit a woman. I'm going to make sure of it. Like, the guy that walks in the room with the three-piece suit and is really nice and lovely and opens the door for you, I'm never attracted to that guy. It's the one that has the fucking restraining order. I'm in love. There he is. And, you know, even that, I don't know that there's something wrong. You know, I keep thinking, I don't know, I just get these assholes, you know, another idiot, another moron, you know, my picker's broken. That's what's wrong with me. Like, the diagnosis just isn't there. 
I don't know how serious this is. I don't know that, like the book says, I have a, the, the total inability to form a true partnership with another human being. The total inability to form a true partnership. It's my way or the highway. I throw people away. I interrupt. You do something wrong. I'm going to pull the hammer down. You're going to freaking get a piece of my mind. And then the next time I see you, I'm going to bring it up again. I'm going to beat you and beat you and beat you with this motherfucking story. You are not ever going to forget when you were 15 minutes late to pick me up from that freaking event. You know, it's, that's the way it's going to go. And somehow, in my ego mind, I'm self-righteous. I'm full of self-justification, and that is one minuscule e example of how my ego operates in untreated alcoholism. You know, let's see here. Let's look at the bedevilments on 52 for a minute, because I want to talk about not just drunk. I want to talk about sober. I don't need liquor to ignite this disease. I just need one thought. You don't have to piss me off. I'm already pissed off if I don't have a God in my life. I don't want to fight, but I'm ready. I'm just ready, you know? It's awful. I don't want that in my life. I don't want to be that. I can't stop it. That is the unmanageability that drives me to the liquor store. Was I having trouble with personal relationships? Huh? Ask my mom. She's in the room right now. I couldn't control my emotional nature. You can ask her that, too. She's sitting right over there. She'll tell you. You're the angriest of all my kids. There's something really wrong. Okay. Was I a prey to misery and depression? Oh, my God. I mean, I've wanted to blow my brains out so many times. Drunk, sober, sideways, in recovery, out of recovery, childhood. I just, I've dreamed every which way. I want to jump off a building. I want to slit my wrist. Never done it, never attempted it. But I have sat in the basement of hell so many times with depression. I mean, you know, I may not be much, but I'm all I think about. Where's mine? My life is so sucky, blah, 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 blaming everyone else. Did I have feelings of uselessness? Was I full of fear? Let me tell you, even driving here, if I don't have a God in my life, I'm so dyslexic. Siri better frickin' work, and she better tell me how to get there. And then all of a sudden, my mom's looking at Siri, and she's like, I know faster ways. And I'm like, no, we're doing this. And she says, you should have turned right. And then I turn left, and the next thing, oh, we're almost in a fight on the way to a fucking meeting. Like, what just happened? It happens so fast if I don't have a God in my life. It happens so fast if I don't have a God in my life. Was I unhappy? I couldn't seem to be of real help to others. Was not the basic solution of these bedevilments more important? So anyway, I could, how can I be of maximum service to other people if I'm constantly in my disease, if I'm in untreated alcoholism, if I'm disconnected from God, if I don't have a power in my life? And you know... I lived in the streets, and I did it all. I have been arrested more times than I ever want to admit. I have 23 prostitution cases, 18 drug and alcohol-related cases, 60 UIs. I win. Something. Give me a freaking prize. Like, I win. I win, right? <laughs> right for the bottom feeders. I win. There's no place left to go. This is it for me. I'm home. You know, these not, I want to say linoleum chairs, you know. Uh, but they're not. They're really nice chairs because we're in Laguna. <laughs> Beautiful wooden chairs, nicely upholstered with, you know, linen weaving. This is where I belong. There is no place to go. There is no graduating point. I still go to a lot of meetings. I still stay very connected to AA. I talk to people in Alcoholics Anonymous all the time. 
Anyway, real quick, I just want to do like a small, short drunkalog. You know, the first time I got sober, I did not understand the magnitude of this disease, and I just stayed dry for 10 years. So dry, I could spontaneously combust. I used my anger everywhere I went. You know, I was pissed off. I was irritated. I was self-righteous. I had all these grandiose ideas of how my life was supposed to look. And then every day I would get up with my ego muscle and I would just make stuff happen, make stuff happen under a tremendous amount of acidic, horrible, stress hormone movement. Like, I didn't have prayer. I didn't have meditation. I didn't know how to chill out. I just was on it and going and going. And it is no place, no place for God. I mean, prayer and meditation, that's for... I don't know, soft people or a Sufi or a something else. I had these preconceived ideas, you know. And so if eventually what happens is, like so many people in this program, you know, it's you or the bottle. And one day, like the woman that took 33 years, man, she said she's buried lots of people and went to funerals. I get it. Like, I'll tell you, I'm 15 years sober. And you know what? The first 10 was great, and I can feel it on me. It, the disease is on me again. I better grow or I'm going to go. I struggle for my sanity. What used to treat my disease now triggers my disease. I need more tools. I need to continue to grow. At any rate, I wasn't growing at that time. So one day, somewhere along the line, I decided to take, pick up a drink, forgot all about the phenomena of craving, and by 48 hours later, I was pretty much drunk around the clock. I had a small child, I moved out in the street, gave my kid away, smoked a lot of crack, drank a lot of vodka, broke out in handcuffs, turned a lot of tricks, went completely crazy, went psychotic, I was sure there was a microchip in my eye and they're following me all over the place, anything that's flying up in the air is somehow connected to my eye, so then I hand over my eye so they couldn't see it, and sometimes I would get a pair of tweezers and I would ask somebody to please get this metal thing out of my eye, I mean really? Like, can you ever even imagine somebody like that ever standing here at a podium or, or able to even, like, contact Siri long enough to get here or bring their mom to a meeting, you know? I mean, it was the bottom of the bottom. Everybody thought I was going to die. And again, you can ask my mom. Like, there were years that she did not see me. Years she didn't speak to me. Years and years and years. My child went through puberty never seeing her mother. Ever, ever, ever. There's a lot of damage, right? That's a lot of freaking damage. God wants me to be an expression of what this program can do for us. God wants me to carry the message. God wants me to be an example of what the 12 steps can do inwardly to transform us. But I have to know what's wrong with me, what prayer and meditation is all about, and what turning my will and my thought life really means. So I'm in and out of jail and in and out of jail and in and out of jail. And there's this guy this guy that I turned a trick, this freaking short little Indian guy named Suraj, like 23 years old, Captain Savaho. He's all of a sudden <laughs> falls in love and he's going to save me. And he gets my mom's phone number and he starts calling her. So he's contacting my mom and telling me, yeah, hey, your daughter's tore up from the floor up in the street. Holy shit, you know. My mom and him heist this plan. They're going to, like, kidnap me and tape me up with duct tape and, like, take me to Mexico. That never happened. But it's hysterical, the kind of stuff that people are actually willing to go through to save you. Every time I go to jail, there he is behind the glass, you know, telling me, you got to go to rehab. you got to get your shit together. you got to get your kid back, you know. So finally I started going to rehab. This is three years in the street, and I... Went to rehab after rehab, and let me tell you, every single time I got physically sober, the horrible pain of what I did to my child, I honestly feel like 
I should have been in a trauma center and a treatment center because I could not live with. I bonded to my child. I breastfed her for three years. I wasn't just a negligent mother that left my kid in a gas station. Like it was so painful. I would just sob uncontrollably with shame and guilt and the suffering that I did to my kid. It was so gnarly. Anyway, I'd go out over and over and over and over. Finally, I went to this treatment center, the ABC Club out in Indio, California, and somebody handed me some tapes by this guy named Bob Anderson, Sherman Oaks, primetime meeting. And he said the main part of the illness centers in the alcoholic's mind rather than her body, that the alcoholism isn't in the liquid. It's in my thought life. It's in my subconscious mind that everywhere I go, I bring the disease with me and that I got to see what my mind is doing in order to treat my disease. So I started to really think, wow, man, I never heard it like that before. So I was taught to, when I, the minute I wake up in the morning, start washing the thoughts that surf the waves of my brain. So I can see that in the morning, first thing in the morning, anxiety, got to go, not going to make it, it's not going to happen, I'm scared, they're going to get me, shit's going to happen. And it's like, no, it never did happen and it's not happening. And I don't need to wake up in some kind of panic. And that's my cue to go to God, power, can you protect me from my mind? My mind is full of untreated alcoholism. You know, in step eight in the 12 and 12, Bill Wilson talks real quickly here, I was going to tell you. Very deep, sometimes quite forgotten, damaging emotional conflicts persist below the level of consciousness. At the time of these occurrences, they may actually have given our emotions violent twists which have discolored our personalities and, ordered, and altered our lives for the worst. I have had situations in my life that have given my emotions violent twists and discolored my personality. I have placed myself in so many positions to be harmed. I've turned so many tricks. I've been in violent situations. I've seen overdoses and dead bodies and robberies and guns and insanity and people living in the street with their children and sodomy and all kinds of crazy shenanigans. So what happens is you take the alcohol out of me and all that's there too. Trauma times a bajillion. And that is not just going to go away because I can see it. So I wake up in the morning and I got to calm myself. I got to check myself before I wreck myself. I have no business for me personally getting out of bed without having a conscious contact with the power that I found in step two. This is not a religion. It is a spiritual plan of action, action, action. I got to do something. You know, and I know I'm not supposed to say you, but you got to do something too if you want what I have or if you want what anybody has. We all have to do something here. Thank God it's a God of my own understanding. Thank you, God. You don't have to call it God. Call it whatever you want. Call it power. We don't bring religion in here. We don't talk about whatever. Jesus Christ, Allah, Quran, like that's all for the outside. There's tons of literature right here in AA. I just want to keep to the literature in here. I don't want to water down the AA message. I don't run around with crosses and holy waters and yarmulke and all that stuff. I keep it real simple. It's just power or God. Power. Can you protect me from my mind? My mind's waking me up and my mind's telling me I'm not going to make it. There's not enough money. There's not enough food in the refrigerator. People don't love me. I'm never going to see my mom again. My daughter's never going to come back to me. And then I offer my thoughts to God. Power, can you help me not think these thoughts? Because they have nothing to do with right now. I need to get up and brush my teeth and make some coffee and make some phone calls and, I don't know, apply for a job or get to a meeting or whatever it is. And I start to really learn to live in the present moment. I train my brain. Stay here. Stay here. Stay here. 
Don't go into the resentments of the past. Don't go into the fear of the future. We are so full of trauma. We have no business touching any of that stuff unless we're in an inventory. None of it. I'm telling you, just stay away. It's all hot coals. There is no beautiful unicorns and butterflies. No, not for us. But in the present moment, I can quiet the disturbance and I can download God and I start to be intuitively guided. I can ask the power to be the manager for my life and all of a sudden something shifts and that stuff is gone. It's not on me. It's not that it's gone forever. It's gone now, this minute, because I'm coming to believe that a power can restore me. I'm interacting with this power. I'm making a decision to turn my mind and my heart and my thoughts to the power and not all on me and about me. And I start to train my body and my nervous system and my brain chemistry to stay the hell away from untreated alcoholism. And I learn to see it for what it is. She pops up out of the basement just rattling her chains. Oh, I got a story for you. It's on and cracking. See that mosquito bite on your neck? It's probably lymphoma. Now you're going to die. It'll just tell me all kinds of crazy things. It's got a story for everything. They said hi to me last week. They don't say hi to me last this week. F and B, I hate her. I mean, I, I don't take into consideration maybe they went to a funeral. Maybe something happened. Maybe they lost a job. I can see that my ego is completely infected with untreated alcoholism. Infected. It's a parasite. It needs a host. It's on me. It's sucking the life out of me. It's stealing my soul without my consent. It's dark. It's so dark. You do not want to be around me when I'm untreated. I am no fun at all. It's heavy and it's dark and doomsday is coming. And that's not what this program promises us. It promises us that we'll be amazed before we're halfway through. It says that we must be rid of the self or it kills us. Selfishness and self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our trouble, driven by a hundred forms of fear. It tells me that I have to constantly remind myself I'm no longer running the show. Constantly means every minute of every day. I got to constantly, constantly remind myself I'm no longer running the show. And you know, in the beginning, my God is like this little crackerjack charm inside of a box. And it begins to grow as I begin to have empirical evidence that there is a God in my life. I can see that miracles really do happen. Even neuroscientists will now tell us that there's a real phys physical fourth dimension. They can hook you up to electrodes and they can see when somebody has prayed or meditated enough that all that chattering thought goes away and boom, other centers in my brain begin to light up. The answers come when my own house is in order. See to it that my relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for me and countless others. This is the great fact. Abandon myself completely. Easier said than done. I can sit here all day and chatter these words. You know what? I had fear. I had anxiety today. I had to pray. I had to go inward. I had to read spiritual literature. Just because I can say it does not mean I can walk on water. does not mean I live in a state of grace all the time. I struggle for my sanity like any other alcoholic in this room. I fight for my sanity sometimes. I plead and I beg God, please, please protect me from my mind. Help me get away from these thoughts or these feelings or these emotions. And sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. Sometimes I have full-blown grace where every leaf and blade of grass speaks to me. Every living thing. I can look in people's eyes and I feel love for them. And other times 
I just hate this world. I think, oh my God, the chemtrails, the medications, Donald Trump, Syria, hurricanes, earthquakes, oh my God, all this stuff, the water, the food, the GMOs, they're killing the humans. What are we? We're a bunch of sheeple. I can go way, way into Sheepleville. And I'm smelling all the sheeple's farts, and I hate this place. And I think we need a plague so that half the population dies, but not this half. You know? <laughs> crazy. Crazy thoughts. Like, how does that even benefit my life? I don't know. But those are the places that I'll go. Those are the places that I'll go. And it's dark. It's dark, and it's no fun. So I continue to improve my conscious contact with this power. You know, um... It's easy to let up on a spiritual plan of action and rest on our laurels. Not Laurel Canyon, our laurels. We're headed for trouble if we do so because alcoholism is a subtle mf -er foe. We are not cured of this disease. What we have is a daily reprieve contingent on the maintenance of our spiritual condition. Every single day is the day I must carry the vision of God's will for me into all of my activities. When my mom says turn right and I turn left and she says, why did you do that? i got to back down. I don't want to get in an argument. I don't need to be right. I don't know why I did it. I just went this way, you know. We're cool. We're good. And i got to constantly, constantly back down. I don't want to fight. I don't want to be right. You don't need to love me. I love you just the way you are. Y'all don't need to change for me. I'm the one that's willing to change. That doesn't mean I invite toxic people into my life. I sidestep it. So you see a pile of dog shit in the middle of the street. What are you going to do? Take your foot and go step on it? I'm going to cruise around it. But I'm just going to say, oh, dog shit. Let's leap over it. You know, and I look at some people or some sickness or some toxic situations, and I feel the same way. Intuition says, you know what, let's dodge a bullet. Let's go this way. It doesn't mean I have to hate anybody. It doesn't mean I have to hurt somebody with my words. It doesn't mean I have to talk a bunch of smack. It means that God intuitively guides me, and I learn how to live on a much higher plane. The fourth dimension is a true living place that we all can be, we all can access. Every single person in this room is wired for grace. It's an equal opportunity. Don't tell me some can get it and some can't. Everybody can, even the biggest psychopaths and sociopaths. We just need to back down, offer our thought life to God, let go of everything as, we, as much as we can absolutely, and just allow God to be present with us in the present moment, the only time I can ever, ever, ever treat this disease is in the present moment. What am I doing right now? And then right now again, and then right now again, and then right now again. And the ego doesn't like this at all. The ego loves all this chatter. But we've got this problem. We have this divorce. We have this lawsuit. We have this cancer. My parents are going to pass away. The house is being sold. My child's sick. You don't understand. There's no problem too big for God. There isn't. But I have to continue to do something all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. And believe me, I want to hold on to certain things. I don't think the power is going to download enough, so i got to figure it out. And when I'm so sick of myself that I can't take it anymore, then I'm like, you know what, power, just take it. Take the thing. i got to stop. i got to stop. I'm making myself crazy. And it's a practice. It's a way of living. It's a way of life. The spiritual toolkit is there at our feet. Open it up. Even if you just 
whisper a little tiny prayer and you don't have a lot of other tools i had to start somewhere i blew my whole life up my whole life can you imagine the shame of like 23 prostitution cases imagine how many tricks i turned that i didn't get arrested for like that's a lot of men that's a lot of stuff i'm not that person that's a byproduct of the disease i'm not ashamed to say that even with my mom in the room i'm not embarrassed that's not me that's not who i am today that's not how i operate i make a living my daughter is in my life. I have good friends. I have a good life today. I live an honest way of life. I have a program. I try to follow it to the best of my ability. I suit up and I show up. My word is good. You can rely on me and you can count on me today. Those are gifts that I got from AA. I didn't get them from therapy. I didn't get them from meds. I didn't get them because I found him, her, whatever. I got them because I applied the principles to my life today. I really hope I said something tonight that helped somebody in here, and I'm so grateful to be here. Thank you so much for letting me share.